Right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereupon, welcome to Cloister Bell Podcast. If you'd fasten your seatbelts, we'll be starting our discussion on the Doctor Who episode midnight at any moment. Here's the headphones for channels 1 through 36, modem link for 3D vid games, complimentary earplugs, complimentary slippers, complimentary juice pack, and complimentary peanuts. I must warn you that some products may contain nuts. Uh, fire exit to the rear, and should you need it, you first. The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Um, so, hello, welcome to Cloisterbell Podcast, a podcast about Doctor Who and bells inside cloisters. And I'm here with world-renowned bell expert, Mr. Liam Hutchinson. Hello, Liam. <laughs> Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm very, very well, thank you. How are oh, you? Good. I'm fine, yeah. Just uh, just sat down and got myself a drink. Nice. What's uh, What's the drink of choice for tonight? Uh, it is it's Brewdog Mail Order Martian. Maybe I had that last week. I don't remember. It's quite nice. It's um, quite cloudy. And cool. Nice. Yeah. I love that now. Uh, what you been up to? I haven't spoken a week, which is not long. <laughs> no, it's uh, no, it's not. Um, well, just the usual in terms of work. Um, planning for some stuff later on the year. Um, including stuff for this podcast. Um, Are you leaving? Yes. No, no, I'm not leaving. No, no. Um, no uh, stuff that uh, would like to review later on the year, so actually just starting the, the prep for that. Um, reading, continue. Uh, as I was saying last week, I've been reading, um, rereading some of the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. So finished reading Signs of... I finished reading Signs of Four today, actually, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, in terms of watching stuff, I'm rewatching Twin Peaks, which is one of my favorite television series. It's been it's been a few years since I last watched it, so uh, finished watching the first series today. Actually, um, first series has seven episodes, so um, quite short in that sense. Series two has twenty odd. I can't remember the number, um, so I'll probably stop season two tomorrow oh yes caught up with a friend on monday which was quite nice um but that's pretty much it how about you i haven't been up to a great deal just um working early mornings so not having much of a life i got to watch midnight though that was good oh yes watch midnight forgot to mention that i've watched that as well yeah so yeah pretty uneventful week for me um so hope everyone at home's doing well hello other parents grant sonia mark and harry um, any any news out there, Liam, in Doctor Who? Any new news? Um, not that I'm aware of. Me uh, I don't think there is actually any news. Yeah. No. I wonder if maybe we'll skip the post-credit segment today. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't think maybe. we've got any news. Yeah, there's no real announcement. I, well, actually, there is one now that you come to mention it. There's not. May as well mention it here because there's not much to talk about, but. That um, they're already recording, I think, series fifteen, and that will be broadcast in twenty twenty five, apparently. So, 
series 15 that's the one after yeah wow yeah so they production's going really well by the sounds of it well, that's good so even if the even if shooty's first series does terrible we're still getting another yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah oh, that's um good. something to look forward to um what are you more more looking forward to the the sixtieth or the new series? That's a good what question. what intrigues you more? Um, the sixtieth actually. I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to the new series and seeing a new Doctor. I mean, the whole thing of David Tennant coming back is a bit mm, right. Okay, um, I'm to be honest, it's the fact that Catherine Tate's coming back which interests me the most. But having seen the trailers and what the story and the fact that we got Beep the Meep and what appears to be the Celestial Toy Maker and its um, narrative, you know, I'm looking forward to the, the you know, the, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think. Mm. How about you? Yeah, same here. I guess we don't know a great deal about the series, hmm. so hopefully there's lots of surprises in the anniversary. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Yeah. So on to midnight. Uh, we put a poll on Patreon asking um, which of these Dr. Donna stories would you like us to discuss? Because, you know, a bit leading up towards the 60th, it would be good to look back and get one of their top picks. And then the, I realised they voted for this one, but it's a bit of a Donna-less episode. <laughs> yes, yes it so is. Yeah. I, think, I feel like we're doing the wrong thing here. But never mind, we'll go with it. <laughs> so, so is yeah. this are they, are they voting this as the Doctor and Donna at their best just apart <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they hardly interact yeah. no I, th- um, I mean possibly but I suspect it's just a case of um, that's a unique episode that stands out basically maybe. yeah 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 mm-hmm. so the plot of this story the 10th Doctor and Donna Noble go to the leisure planet midnight for a simple relaxing holiday however Life with the Doctor can never be simple, and things go horribly wrong when the Doctor, for the Doctor, when he decides to go off on a bus trip and see the Sapphire Waterfalls, starting with the bus shutting down, um, when a mysterious entity infiltrates the shuttle bus, no one is to be trusted, not even the Doctor himself. Cast and crew for this one, written by Russell T. Davies, directed by Alice Troughton, she's not... A Troughton, I'd like to point out. She's she's not she she is a Troughton. Well, she is a Troughton, but she's not yeah, related to the Troughtons, small is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cast and crew for this one, the Doctor, David Tennant, Donna Noble, Catherine Chase. Do we really need to go through the the main cast at this bit? Yes, yes, you yes, do. Yes, yeah, of course we do. You've started, you're committed, go on. Rose Tyler was played by Billy Piper. <gasps> she's in this one. <laughs> 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 the mysterious hostess with no name. Reiki Aeola, if I got that correct. But this is the part of the show where I think we should aim to get all the names wrong. That's the cool thing to do. Um, Sky Silverstreet by Leslie Sharp. Professor Hobbs, um, David Troughton. Mm, he's A Troughton, but with a big A. Yeah. Hmm. We've got uh, Didi Blasco, uh, played by Aisha Antoni. Anton? Antoine. Antion. <laughs> I can see why you wanted to skip this bit. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Valkane. You're doing well, Rob. <laughs> yeah, you're rooting for me. Valkane, Lindsay Coulson, Biff Kane, mm-hmm. Biff, um, Daniel Ryan, Jethro, Colin Morgan, Driver Joe, Tony Bolto, Mechanic Claude, Clyde, Cloud, <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne Henry. Um, I think I did all right there. Th- thank you. Um, <laughs> so, for an episode that's just on a bus, there's a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. The names aren't that creative, like Hostess and Driver Joe, Biff. <laughs> but there's, there's quite an assortment of characters there. So it begins on the planet Midnight. The Doctor decides to take um, a leisure trip on a tourist shuttle called the Crusader 50. He calls Donna, who's sitting by a pool relaxing, but she's taking a back seat for this story. Do you know why this is? I think this was something to do with the production thing, and um, I think I think Catherine Tate couldn't be in it completely. Yeah. Um, so I think it was that, and also when you think about it, it also it's also the same reason why they had a doc, sort of doctorless, doctorless episode with Turn Left, and also oh, I suppose yes. it balances the series out as well. Um, so even though it was to do with production schedules and dates people could and couldn't make you know you you've actually gotten quite close succession um an episode focusing entirely on donna and an episode like midnight focusing more on the doctor so that's interesting yeah i was just about to ask is there any examples from from previous series where we get um episodes with just one of the main cast uh, but yeah the the immediate episode after this turn left is a doctorless one that's interesting have any of the previous series done something like this? Of course, we've had episodes that have been very light on the cast, like Blink. And Love yeah, and that Mon- was one Love reason, actually, yeah. But yeah, maybe not. So the other passengers are on the shuttle, and they include the hostess. We get Sky, and we have a family consisting of a father, mother, and son. That's Biff, Val, and Jethro. We have um, Professor Hobbs, and he's there with Dee Dee Blasco. Do you think um, David Troughton stands out as a Troughton, um, for those who might not have realised? Um, <clears throat> he, well, he's a very good actor, and he has a very... He's um, he's not just a case of being one of the sons of Patrick Troughton. He's managed to forge a very successful career on his own merits i've seen him in quite you know quite a few things and he you know he's very good um he'd previously been in a doctor who way back when john pertwee was the doctor in the curse of peladon um yeah and here he is you know back uh, unless i'm getting mixed up with another one of his sons was he was he in this um the new statesman no what was it called um i don't i've forgotten the name of it now it was that comedy series with rick mail I know the show, yeah, but I don't remember. Hang on, I'm going to have to Google this. I'm you, sure one you of the... you check it out. Yeah. And who did we meet? Was it is it Michael, the other brother? No, what? No, didn't we? Wasn't it? No, it was David Trotton that we met. Was it David Trotton we met? Is the other brother in that Last Christmas? No idea. No idea. <laughs> what are you talking about? The Peter Capaldi thing? Yeah. Um. I don't remember much of that one. That's the one. Is that the one that actually with Santa Claus in it? It is, yeah. Have we reviewed yeah. that at some point? Yeah. 
Uh, no, I don't think we have actually. But mm. uh, you see, I remember Nick Frost more than anyone else being in that episode. Um, when was the New Statesman thing? Yeah, well, I got the. I did get the name right. It was. Um, so it was the New Statesman. It ran from eighty-seven to ninety-two. And oh, I I got the I got the brothers mixed up. It was Michael Troughton in that one. That was the other one. Yeah, with the other one. <laughs> And he's the younger brother of David Troughton. Oh, okay. David, oh yeah, and uh, well, David Troughton, he was in a very peculiar practice, which was the comedy series with um, Peter Davison in it as well. Um, you, what was that? What was a very called? peculiar practice. Right, I wasn't sure that was the name of it, or if you just describing it. All oh, right. Okay. So the Doctor and the other passengers get their complimentary stuff. The Doctor introduces himself to Professor Hobbs, and Dee Dee looks around and familiarizes himself with the the other passengers what do you think of all the complimentary stuff <laughs> um i quite liked it as a, as a joke just that you know the, the random crap that you're bombarded with when you're on a plane uh apart from the complimentary slippers um what's the point of those i don't get them but then I suppose that's the joke because it's even yeah. when you go into hotel rooms like with complimentary slippers never use them so driver joe who we haven't seen at this point, pulls up a map because there's been a rock slide of sorts and they're going to go on this new route. So the hostess, the, ho- the, ho- the hostess turns on that terrible entertainment system. It, you travel a lot. Is, is, this what, is this what it's like traveling? <laughs> um, no. Um, Do you no. need earplugs a lot? It, well, to block out the noise of other, other people's mindless chatter. But... Um... You're not bombarded with loads of crap. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so the doctor pulls out a Sonic and turns it off, basically, and shares a smile with Sky in the aisle mm. over. So over time, the passengers share stories, laugh. Yeah, so it's always weird watching actors laugh. Like <laughs> It is, isn't it? It's like they're not really laughing they're acting and it's probably not the first take so it's just a bit awkward yeah it is it is. <laughs> it's very awkward you can tell it's um it's it's not real laughter it's it's fake yeah, yeah. russell's wrote some jokes here i'm <laughs> gonna have to try and laugh at them <laughs> yeah. what was your take on the first act of the story the dialogue and the whole setting and the I don't know if you want to call it humour or whatever. Um, what was your impression? Were you enjoying it? Or were you thinking, this is just a bit of an oddball Russell T. Davis episode? Um, well, I quite liked it. I mean, I remember um, I remember watching it for the first time. And I've, I've seen this episode several times, but I still have that distinct memory of, of watching it way uh, back in 2008, watching it for the first time. Um because uh, I didn't, I, d- I don't think I even saw the um, the trailer for this episode. So I came into it blind when I first watched it, and um, I mean, I still have a bit of a, a funny thing with with New Doctor Who. Truth be told, I like I still like my loves with the classic series, with New Doctor Who. Um, like there are episodes that I enjoy, um, but it doesn't have the same repeat value for me that the classic series does. And I've said we've spoken about this before in a previous podcast, but with the new series, it took me a little while for it to click. By the time we got this uh, for the fourth series, of which this is part, um, I was enjoying the series, 
But I had a tendency of not really enjoying episodes written by Russell T. Davis. So it was pretty much any time that his name came up as being the main writer, I, you know, it tended to be I didn't really enjoy the episode too much. Or I thought it was, you know, yeah, it's a bit of a red flag. But yeah, a bit there. of a red flag. <laughs> and so when uh, when it was like Midnight came up, written by Russell T. Davis, I remember thinking, oh, for God's sake. Um, so I wasn't really expecting much of it, but I was really pleasantly surprised. I did actually like the introduction, you know, how it how it began. I liked all that and the the sort of the backwards and forwards between the Doctor and Donna, uh, with the Doctor trying to convince Donna to come with him, and she's like, "I just want to relax and switch off. You go on your jollies, and that's it." Um, so I liked all that. Um, yeah, the, the, this brief moment where you're talking about where the um, you know, where they're talking and, you know, there's camaraderie going on and laughter. Yeah, it's naff. Um, I'm not convinced by the laughter, but I know what they're trying to convey. Um, yes. And and it's it's only a very short part of the story. It, it, it's fine. It's sort of like that bit which serves a purpose. I just think um, I, I'm not really convinced by the, the jokes and the fact that they're laughing. No. But... Yeah. But you're right, though, it serves a purpose because looking ahead... Mm. at what's to come you do need this polar opposite where they're getting on yeah yeah you do yeah before it flips (laughs) (laughs) so Dee Dee tells the doctor of how she joined Hobbs and she wrote a paper on the lost moon of Poosh um you remember what that is Liam I know it's a reference to something and it uh but I can't remember what it would come up in um the Stolen Earth two-parter, only two episodes from now, when the the Earth is stolen mm-hmm. and all these different planets have been stolen out of time and they're in this optimum arrangement that um, activates the reality bomb or some, something like that. Mm-hmm. But the, um, when the Doctor's visiting the Shadow Proclamation... He's trying to complete this model of all these missing planets, and he's like, "Oh yeah, the lost moon of Poosh." Ah, right, it. okay, okay. So it's a, so it's, yeah, it's a foreshadowing. It's a conven- very convenient foreshadowing. <laughs> Hobbs gives a little presentation on his his research of the of, of midnight mm-hmm. because this is what is like his fourth trip or fourteenth or, or something like that. Fourteenth, yeah, yeah, yeah. quite. Yeah. Um, not much of a research trip, is it? When you can't really see out the window. <laughs> no. And this is the sort of thing that would pan my head in. You know, I, I always like a window seat if it's on a plane or a train. You know, and when I've been on a train and someone's put the, the sort of the blind down, it's, it's you know, yeah. <laughs> really annoys me. I want, I want to have a view. Um, yeah. yeah, so this, um, th- that would irritate me. And it's actually quite a, yeah. I mean, the fact that you've actually got this quite dull set, really. Not nothing towards the designer that designed it well for, for you know it conveys exactly what it is, but um, you know there's no exterior shots apart brief apart from that brief moment when the doctor um, uh, goes up fr- uh, into the front cabin. Um, but otherwise, oh yeah, what does it look like? So we get an exterior shot of the of the of the shuttle. No, 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 we don't. But you know when they open the window. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what it looks like. Um, but, but, um, yeah. I didn't quite buy Hobbs's take on his little 
philosophical moment where he's like, no one's ever been here. We're just here in this metal box going through. But you could say that about all of space. <laughs> you never really go outside to interact with hmm. But yes, I guess it's true. You can't look upon it. Although you can look upon it for a few seconds. Hmm. They just choose not to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so as the shuttle travels across the planet's surface, it suddenly stops. And the doctor speaks to the driver, um, which is driver Joe. And he says it'll be about an hour till they get rescued. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, clock's ticking. So, yeah, we've got, we've got an hour of hell to get through. So, he's there with dri- driver Joe. And who's the engineer called? Clyde or Cloud? Clyde, I think. Claude? Claude. Claude Clyde. <laughs> Two nice guys. Yeah. The hostess had told a bit of a lie about what was wrong. The doctor sees through that because of what kind of engine the the shuttle runs on. So the doctor asks Joe to have a look outside. So this is where he opens the shutters. And then Clyde, if that's what we agreed his name was, um, spots something moving on a ridge. And we get this lovely shot, exterior shot, of these um, kind of crystalline sapphire cliffs and mountains and peaks. Mm-hmm. And he sees something moving. And then as the shutters are closing, it's like he's seen something running towards them. Which is quite a good description. Quite terrifying, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's and we don't it's see ominous any of it. shadow. Yeah. Mm. It's all his it, it's his reaction. And it's so you know, it, it uh, it's really engaging. It's um it's really rather good. And in fact I think that's one of the strengths of this episode. We don't mm-hmm. ever see it. And we don't it's mm-hmm. never fully explained. No. Um, so th- this is this is probably, from this moment on, I think this is the strength of the episode, mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah. So Dee Dee suspects that there's something wrong because she's, she knows about this shuttle and how it, how it runs. So she's clicked on what the hostess said because it kind of fibbed about what was wrong. Um, and this kind of sparks a bit of a, um, upheaval in the cabin. So everyone's kind of arguing, you know, how much air have we got? But then Dee Dee says, well, it just recycles the air supply. So there's no concern about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's clearly quite intelligent. So then there's some strange knocking sounds heard outside the shuttle. It kind of moves around to the rear door, tries the door and goes around to the side door. So the doctor knocks three times and it replies. And then he knocks four times and it replies. So there's definitely something out there when clearly nothing can exist out there apparently mm-hmm. and, that, and that's when we get this mysterious force it breaks in and possesses sky um causing her to kind of repeat everybody and at this stage sky was the most terrified of the bunch well vocally anyway mm-hmm. she was kind of freaking out yeah and that's the scary thing the, this entity has decided to prey on her maybe maybe because of that i think that's what jethro the young boy points out later on yeah i think it's very strongly implied that that is clearly you know that is the case that's what's happened Mm. so yeah yeah so she starts to repeat everybody and as the well before this actually as the doctor kind of picks himself up 
after the entity's broken. He's kind of seeing if he's okay, seeing if everyone else is okay. And we see Rose Tyler calling for the doctor on one of the monitors. <laughs> yeah, briefly. A yeah. very brief random moment. I think we'd we'd seen Rose in the first episode of series four, the Adipose one. Partners in crime. Yeah, partners in crime. She just kind mm. of arrives on the scene at the end. Yeah. And I'm sure we've seen her dot up here and there mm-hmm. since, but I can't recall. Can you? Not off the top of my head, but I think there were probably one or two other. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I definitely remember her. Um, doesn't Donna uh, tell her to tell her mother where she's left the car keys? And then she just goes, sod that and walks oh, off. Oh, right, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, there may be one or two, but I can't I can't remember off the top of my head. All right. Oh, we'll have to check them out one day. So Sky is sat still in the corner, holding her head in her hands. Hmm. Very, very freaky. So, um, then the hostess opens the driver's cabin. It's just gone. So that's a bit of a worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, these two guys are dead and there's literally no cabin left. So they've got nothing to do but wait for the rescue. Um, and yes, like I said earlier, Jeth- Jethro, the young boy, has correctly maybe suspected that the entity's possessed sky mm. um so he's quite a clever young lad because he makes quite a few observations mm-hmm. correctly yeah so sky turns to everybody and starts to mimic them and it kind of freaks everybody out yeah so this this is what this is quite interesting what do you make of this i think it's uh, a really good premise i mean one of the things that's always stuck with me i think um russell d davis he, he had this idea for for the for, for this being the threat in this episode. And I, I remember there was a story where Phil Collinson, I think it was Phil Collinson, um, RTD went to have a conversation with him about, about this story and then basically repeated everything that Phil was saying. Um, um, oh, you're not going to do this, are oh, you, Oh, you're Rob? not going to do this, are you, Rob? Oh, God, I was Oh, God, no, <laughs> Right. right. So anyway, he was. So anyway, uh, he was, um... Have you ever had it where you've you been had on a mobile a, um, phone and you're having a conversation with somebody and then you hear your own voice echo back at you? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like. <laughs> Stop it, Rob! It's exactly like that, and it's very off-putting. <laughs> Somewhere in my notes for tonight, I actually wrote down "copy Liam" at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting it, but the fact that it hadn't happened so far, I was just like, oh, Rob's, all right, okay, Rob's showing some good restraint. Maybe he's not going to do that. Oh, he is. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, you'd be fooled not to. But yeah, so there was the story where um, RTD basically did what you've just done to me to Phil. I was just like, starting to freak out and just going, this is irritating. And yeah, and I think at that point, RTD said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this story. This is too good. Um, oh, yeah. I like it as an idea, and the you know, and the way that it follow, the way that it follows this sort of logical pattern where um, it repeats, then it syncs up. Yeah, it does. And then it, and then it does this, and then it leaps, and it um, it speaks before you do, um, and it's you know that's a r- really good idea. But I like how it's explored because I think really you know that's the threat, and it's very atmospheric. But really what makes the story is everyone's reaction to it. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. Mm. I mean, to, to me, it's that's the that's the threat, and that's where the danger comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very believable. Oh yeah, mm. sadly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, it gets to the point where the doctor suspects that Sky being possessed is learning by copying. Um, so they all kind of retreat to the back of the shuttle and Dee Dee does that, that poem, the Goblin Market one. Mm. Um, I don't know how relevant that is, but... Um, <laughs> it's creepy, it's relevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Jethro thinks it did target Sky. Oh, well, well, he said this earlier on, sorry. So this is where the hostess suggests throwing Sky out of the shuttle. Mm. And quite surprisingly, Dee Dee agrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest begin to think they should too. And despite the doctor's opposition, they then begin to turn on the doctor. Yeah, you know, thinking, "Oh, they must be in league." And um, yeah, to the to the point where they suggest throwing him out the shuttle too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Jethro realizes that Sky has stopped talking to them. Stopped copying them, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone but the Doctor. Yeah, so clearly he's the one she's trying to learn from. Because the Doctor was saying, you know, I'm the, I'm the smartest one in here. Mm. Um, I, I don't think he was trying to be egotistic, but he, he kind of is sometimes. Well, no, I mean, that's one of the big things about uh, Tannen's Doctor. He is a sort of like an egotistical, <laughs> egotistical maniac. Um, it's... <laughs> And again, it's it's interesting because there's you know uh, Divitan's doctor was always someone that was able to take command quite quickly, and there's uh, there's been times previously where he has basically said you know I'm the clever one or not you know not verbatim but you know basically that's the gist, and everyone goes along with it. It's interesting to have an episode where that's uh, where that's flipped and actually you know being that cocky is the one is what actually gets him further into trouble. But this is all brought about by um, uh, people panicking and freaking out far too easily. Oh, yeah. So the Doctor kind of tries to reason with Sky, who is now in sync. Well, not quite in sync with him at this point. But he's trying to reason with her, saying, you know, there's no need to steal this woman's body. You can... You can do this in a more reasonable way somehow, mm. and then and then the speech jumps ahead of the doctor. Yeah. So the passengers begin to think that it's passed from her to the doctor. Uh, this is where Dee Dee's observation comes in because she thinks that's not what that's not what happened. She saw what actually happened somehow. Mm-hmm from her observations but um, everyone thinks no you know it's passed to the doctor incredibly naive but yeah the whole yeah but they're, but they're not thinking and they're letting they're their, not um and the fact that um you know someone actually you know observed actually you know what happened but they're the odd one out so they get vilified for for pointing out the truth um yeah and that woman is at val kind of hugs her and Dee's like i wouldn't do that if i was you yeah and then everyone makes up 
stuff about you know the, you know the fact that it makes up stuff about what they thought they saw in order to reflect how they're feeling mm. um you know because everyone's going about i did see that you know the transferred over to the other ones like well you couldn't because that didn't happen yes we did you must have saw it and then bring everyone else and you saw it didn't you um and even drags drags in poor jethro as well yeah yeah <laughs> he's like oh yeah maybe i saw it um so then they begin to turn on the doctor. They oh. grab him and they're gonna throw him out. Um, but the, where you know when Sky says "Molto bene" and "Avanti," that's when the hostess kind of realizes, you know, that's the doctor's words. Yeah. And this is where the hostess does something very heroic and surprising. She runs to Sky. She opens the exterior door. She grabs her, she counts to six, mm-hmm. and then then they're gone. Yeah. So she she kind of sacrificed herself. Mm. Mm. There was one thing that I wanted to. Do. I always thought that what had happened was I thought there was some unintentional comedy bit, um, <laughs> but when I when I watched it this time, I, I was deliberately focusing on that moment because. I thought um, when I first watched this back in 2008, it was on a it was on a small television that when she grabs Sky and then counts down to six and then gets um, and then they get uh, and then they get sucked out. I thought um, what, what had happened was a fraction of a second before they get sucked out, she had a wig and it pulled off the first. I honestly thought that that's what I saw. Surely not. I don't know. Anyway, turns out no. Oh, you do see, you do see her hair, um, like obviously moving the direction they're about to get sucked out to. But it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a wig. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, so what do you think, folks? Uh, the fact that they didn't do that is it is it disappointing? Should they? Should it have been a wig? But anyway, yeah. For some, uh, I always had that in my head of going, "Is that what happened?" But it it didn't. It didn't, sadly. Mm. Oh. So that, I think that's kind of that's kind of it mm. for the the climax of that. Yeah. And um, twenty minutes later, the rescue team are arriving, and the doctor asks out loud, "You know, what was the hostess's name?" Mm. And nobody knew. And no, yeah, nobody. Knew. Not, not even us. And then the doctor reunites with Donna. She asks what he thinks it was, if it's still out there. Um, and I think the doctor suggests, oh, yeah, they can go to another planet. I don't know if he's going to convince them of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Donna says he, she can't imagine him without a voice. He just oh. he just loved to talk. And then he says, um, Malta Bene, and she copies him. And he's like, yeah, don't do that. Mm. Yeah, I didn't mm. want to copy that. It felt like a very short episode. In fact, it did fly by. Maybe the pace of it somehow was fine. You always think the concept of a cheaply made story in one room—it's it, probably going to be a bit of a drag. But the pacing was fine. Oh yeah, the pacing was excellent. I mean, actually, to to tell a story which is you know self-contained effective i mean obviously you have it's bookended briefly 
in this leisure resort, but the vast majority of the story is contained within this one space. To tell a story that's captivating is, you know, I, I remember, you know, there's a movie from the late 50s called 12 Angry Men, which is about um, uh, a jury service um, and how they sort of deliberate and come up uh, with a verdict of guilty. And then there's this one person who's a bit dubious and goes, I'm not convinced, not, not, non guilty, uh, not guilty. And um, it's, it's it's a fantastic film. And it's this fact that he's the one odd one out and everyone's um, going, you know, how can how can he not be not guilty? And then there's this whole thing the the, the whole course of the movie is them just talking it, talking it through. And then people slowly like, go, oh, maybe, maybe not. And it's all about, you know, people bringing their own prejudices into the into the, the decision that they're making. That's all contained in one jury room. If no one's ever seen it, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. I strongly recommend it, 12 Angry Men. Um, and there's other sort of like films like this. And then you, you have this episode of Doctor Who Midnight, which is largely contained in this. And it, yeah, it manages to captivate you throughout. It's very well written, very well paced, very well performed, very well directed. Um, it's great. And I remember the first time watching it, when the episode ended, I remember going, yeah, that's a really, really good episode. And I think it's probably the one episode that Russell T. Davis wrote where I just think, yeah, it's perfect. Finally, he did a good job. He did something well. Did yeah. something right. <laughs> yeah. Finally. <laughs> but yeah, generally speaking, it is... Because um, there is something about... He is a good writer, but um, there's something about... His approach to writing Doctor Who, I always thought. I, I Terence Dix said this a lot. Really, kind of respected him for a writer, but the, but always said that there was something about his scripts which felt a bit first draft, um, always a bit too a bit too rushed and a bit too soap opery. And mm -hmm. I, I went, yeah, I I, I kind of agree with that. Um, but yeah, he you know, th but there's other stuff that he's written which I, I have kind of enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, this is one episode of his where it's just like you know what I've got, I've got no issues with it. I think as a script, I think it's very good, uh, and the way that that script was executed, it was done to perfection. Yeah, and although there are some mysteries there, mm -hmm. there's nothing more that you really need to know. No, no, no. It looks well. Yeah, and actually, I mean, it, it's something that's quite. A little bit rare in modern Doctor Who, or certainly this period of the show, it the whole thing was about you know how wonderful humanity is and the positive aspects and all the rest of it. Um, this points, uh, you know, this perfectly demonstrates um, sort of like the negative nature of of humanity. It really does because we had we had Sky possessed, but it was just the Doctor's and the passengers' opinion that she was bad because she never actually did anything bad the doctor when he was trying to reason with her he says he really hopes he's wrong but something in her eyes tells him everything mm. and she is a threat i mean the way that she's going on at the end you know she, yeah she stole the oh doctor's yes voice, of course but... then she's manipulating yeah, she's manipulating the whole situation to, to get rid of the one person who's a threat mm. yeah and she talks about the entity out in the cold Mm. A little bit. Yeah. So, Liam, um, we did a poll. Mm. We had a good 30 votes this week. Nice, good, good. How do you think it did? I, 
I think most people would rate this episode good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 86.7% yeah. good. Ah, good. Yeah. Excellent result. So, mm-hmm. a- average and bad. Um, both tied at 6.7%. Oh, right. Okay. I should just round these percents up, shouldn't I? <laughs> Actually, one thing I will say about this episode, which we haven't covered on, um, there are a couple of shots which we see of the planet midnight, and I do think they're beautifully done. I do really like those. Uh, there's one at the very beginning of the episode, and um, one in the middle, one at the end. Um, yeah, and it, the way that the Doctor describes this beautiful this beautiful place of, of where he's wanting to go, it, it just gives you a bit of a brief glimpse of you know what he's talking about and the, and the beauty of it and having this planet of, of diamonds and sapphires and things uh glistening and glinting in the sunlight it's it's really nicely done and what they've done was really effective it's yeah what i assume is just a still image but it's mm. glistening and gleaming which really brings out the atmosphere yeah yeah very much so um so i think the the production values of, of this episode are really rather good and it, it holds up very well, you know, very well. Yeah. So, shall we go on to listener responses? Okay, yep. Yeah. We have Matt from Neither the Time nor the Space. He said, I didn't like it on first watch. I've never gone back for a second pass. I don't like the cast and found the resolution unfulfilling. Oh, okay. I mean, you're wrong, Mark, but that's yeah, interesting. That... Thanks very much for letting us know. Sonia got in touch. She said... I think it's really suspenseful. Hmm. Um, interesting concept. And I like that you never really know what the monster is. I did find the family on the train really annoying. All in all, good story. Hmm. That's a good summing up. Thanks, Sonia. James Swift said, My favourite Tenth Doctor story. It's proof that limitation makes creativity. Put it up against the standard Russell T. Davis finale and sure, they will have the money behind it and the worldwide threats, but it doesn't have the uniqueness that you get with these experimental episodes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that's that's really sums up... Yeah, because I was saying before, you know, um, my feelings towards Russell, Russell T. Davis as a writer, and yeah, those big epic, you know, finales, as far as I'm concerned, this sort of episode, Midnight, far surpasses those. Uh, I think it's much more interesting, it's much better executed, and I'm actually much more emotionally engaged in this type of story than, say, something like, you know, The Stolen Earth. Um, yeah, yeah, so I agree with that. Yeah, James followed that up with something interesting. He said, okay. and also, is it just me, or did RTD try to write a Moffat script? It does have the hallmarks of Moffat trying to do something unique and terrifying yeah i never thought of like i I can see where you're coming from with that i think mm, i would say (laughs) yes and no because i think you know um i think what certainly at this point i think what stephen moffat was very good at doing was getting something something very seemingly mundane and making that a horror um And I was going to mention a couple of examples, but the more I think about it, actually, I think there is more of a... Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, can I edit this out, Rob? But uh, 
actually yeah on th- thinking about that more yeah i kind of yeah i'm sorry you're, you're hearing me th- <laughs> hearing me think about this uh although it's not completely articulate or at all um yes i actually agree with that we live here in your thoughts lane but <laughs> i was just a rambling coming somehow coming to some sort of conclusion um maybe <laughs> maybe i've somehow expressed mark's views on this episode yeah it was just a load of lane was just rambling and didn't really come up to yeah. a conclusion exactly like midnight um yeah i agree with that (laughs) (laughs) um and les ray at amy pond forever said awesome tenant's best story it's certainly up there for me um i mean i I like the unicorn and the wasp and waters oh yeah you did like that yeah um have i got a favorite tenant what's that have i got a favorite tenant as i've said before I think you have. Didn't we do? Didn't we do a review of like review Um, ages ago of our favorite stories from each of the doctors? Yeah, I don't want to say some random one because that would just be picking one at random. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I definitely rate uh, Midnight very highly. Not just in terms of the David Tennant era, but in general, I do really like it. Mm. It it was interesting on this viewing as well because it had been a few years since I last watched it. It hit home in a way that it didn't, you know, initially. Because I've always liked the episode and the, the the horror of it. But I mean, watching it in twenty twenty three, given what's happened recently, of and we've seen this of people allowing themselves to get easily panicked and vilify people and all the rest of it. We we've seen it on a massive scale very recently. Um, so I found Midnight Air hit home in a way that it hadn't before. Um, I mean, I think we all recognised the, the, the you know the the truth that the ep, you know the episode has of people easily panicked, and that's really where the the main danger comes from. And that's yes. Uh, and it's a, it, one one of my favourite moments of the episode is actually after everything that has gone on, um, the mother of um, uh, Jethro says to the doctor, "said you know I always I always said it was her," which is an that out and out lie she's trying to convince herself as well as the doctor that what had just gone down didn't happen and it it just rings hollow and the the doctor just doesn't say anything it's you know it's not surprising that end i think is you know very powerful as well Mm. um yeah just everything about this episode i think just follows through as I say, the only slight criticism that I have is just like yeah, that, that laughter to begin with, so fake. Yeah. But but we get it. They're supposed to be getting on it. And it's short. Yeah, I guess that first act, mm. I can sum that up in my conclusion. Okay. Because initially I found the writing and the way the story was presented a bit concerning. Because I thought, is this going to be another average, cringy Russell T. Davis episode? <laughs> Um, but you know the idea of possession of from the unknown, people turning on people, and mm. stuff like that. It was nice and dark, so yeah, it was a good story. That's how I'd rate it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Same here. Good. So, Liam, uh, what are we doing next time? Uh, yes, I completely forgot. I was like, what are we doing? Unless next we've time? got more to say. This was um, a very quick one. I think it's because we didn't have the the pre-chat because we we literally spoke to each other last week so there wasn't much new to say 
Yeah, actually, you know, sticking on schedule for the podcast, it's good. Yeah. Um, Doing monthly no, episodes, think... it's say like we've got so much to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think I've said everything uh, about Midnight, uh, and I really like it. I was happily watch it again. Yeah, me too. Um, but in terms of what we're doing next, uh, we're returning back to season 18. Thankfully, it's still a televised story, and we're going to be reviewing The Keeper of Trafen. Nice. Okay, we'll do that next week. Mm-hmm. Satan, so um, if you're listening to this on the Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, <laughs> get get your responses in. We will most likely be recording by the end of the week. So yeah. get your responses mm-hmm. in and we'll we'll read them out. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us, feedback at cloisterbellpodcast.com. You can send in a voice clip if you like. We might include it. <laughs> Um. so yeah if you'd like to support the podcast we are on patreon.com forward slash cloisterbell you don't have to support us at all that's fine Um. but there's some bonus episodes on there too mm-hmm. um, but also uh, you don't yeah, if you do enjoy the podcast it doesn't have to be financial you don't have to go to patreon The other there are other ways of supporting the podcast which we will also uh, appreciate immensely uh, reviewing getting the word out there Sharing us on your socials, you know that sort of thing. Oh, that would be, be you know, fantastic. share, like, and subscribe. I think is the vernacular that uh, people use. Yeah, yeah. We use share, like, subscribe, and give us the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Liam. That's been a good chat. So, as we conclude, the tale of midnight raises a thought-provoking question: If pushed to the edge. Could we fall prey to the haunt and grip of mob mentality? So let's reflect on the power of empathy, critical thinking, and independent judgment. Let's strive to resist the allure of blind conformity, embracing the strength of our individual voices. So listeners, until we meet again, stay vigilant, stay true, and let our collective consciousness defy the shadows of fear. Who said that? AI. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to go. And that, dear folks, was what Stalin said. Ooh. Um. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, I quite liked it. The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.